0: Thanks, Fritz. How's everybody tonight? Good? All right. Well, uh, I was asked to uh, make an announcement. We do have child care available tonight. So um, if you're interested in it, uh, it's in the back. Just follow Carol. She's waving. <clears throat> Otherwise, if you have your Bibles with you, if you'd open up to the book of Ruth, we're going to finish up what we started today as we continue through what the Lord has for us this evening. And if you remember, as we began, as we took a look at Ruth, remember, Ruth. the whole story starts when a family makes a decision based on what they think is going to be greener pastures. And they leave the promised land, the place that God had designed for them, and they went to the world. They left the house of bread to go dwell In dirty water in the in the wash pot and as they went as they moved they stayed in that land for 10 years now at the end of those 10 years they uh, Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons and her and her two daughter-in-laws begin the journey back home now I don't know for you guys if you've ever gone through an experience like this but for me there was a period in my life where I felt like I had lost about 15 years. Like I had just wasted I had just kind of cast it out there and and when you're making that journey home when you're turning back toward the Lord at the end of a time like that the enemy has ways of whispering in your ear doesn't he it's too late it's too late you wasted too much time and we can begin to focus on what was lost rather than what we can gain in Christ. And we see Naomi doing that, don't we? Naomi, as she comes back home, she's focused on all the things that she's lost, but she can't quite get a grip on the fact that even though she made a bad decision and they went to a a place and she lost a lot of things, God is in the business, folks, of redeeming and he will redeem back that which we've lost one of my favorite scriptures as i came back to the lord after a period of time of wandering was to go to joel chapter 2 and in joel chapter 2 the lord says you know if you guys will follow my precepts everything's going to be good but but if you go away and you disobey these precepts i'm going to send the locusts and the locusts will eat everything They'll eat everything that they can eat, and you'll look over the wasteland that used to be your life and realize, my goodness, the locusts have just had their way. But then the Lord said, If you'll return to me, I'll give you back the years the locusts ate. Well, I know that's been true in my life, where there was a time where I focused on the past. Can we do anything about the past? We can't do anything about the past. All we can do is the next right thing. I can't do nothing about what happened, but I can do something about what's going to happen next. What's going to happen now? Where where am I going now? What's my direction now? So, in fact, when Kathy and I, I shared this morning, when we got our rings that say beauty for ashes, I tried to get the guy to put, uh, he'll give you back the years that the locust ate, but it wouldn't fit on the ring. <laughs> and and the, the person that I was telling him, I, I wanted to put the... He'll give you back the years the locust ate. He looks at me like, What? That's not a very romantic thing to put on a ring. So, beauty for ashes went over better. But the concept remains the same, right? The Lord wants to restore us. He's not in the business of destruction, but restoration. And as we left this morning, we see Naomi becoming hopeful, right? Boaz has been given handfuls of purpose to Ruth, and she's been gleaning and having all of these things, all these blessings from the Lord. And where Naomi at one time could only see what was lost, now she's starting to see the fingerprints of God. It's so glorious when we consider that. So in chapter 3, she begins to step out in that faith. She begins to say, man, God's moving, God's working. There's an opportunity for redemption here. There's an opportunity for for us as a family to be restored. There's an opportunity for Ruth to be cared for and and for me to have things I never thought I was going to have again. And so in chapter 3, she begins that. In chapter 3, verse 1, And Naomi... Her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Literally, what she's saying is, shall I not, uh, shall I not seek a safe haven? Shall I not seek rest? She's out every day working in the field, but, but Naomi says it doesn't have to always be like this. It doesn't have to always be like this. There's an opportunity for redemption. Folks in our lives, when we're out there just gleaning, just barely making by, if we're, in the, we're in the pits, life hasn't given us everything that we had hoped for, it's not always going to be that way. It's not always going to be like that. One day, the Lord can speak the words, right? Peace be still, and the wind stops, and the rain stops falling. And we enjoy a time of rest and a time of, of being in that safe haven. So she says to her in verse 2, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. And when she says that phrase, is he not our relative? He's, she's saying, is he not our goel? Is he not our kinsman redeemer? He's the one who has an opportunity to redeem all that was lost. And so she lays that out before Ruth and she's going to give her some examples. Now, remember, I I said this morning, when we read the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, we want to have our eyes open, our ears open to see the patterns, the prophetic patterns in the scripture. So take a careful look at what Naomi, who is a picture of Israel, tells Ruth, who is a picture of the church. Look what she says. Now therefore wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Wash yourself. We are washed in the water of the word. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are all things that the church also receives as they seek the redemption, as they look for that redemption from their Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're washed, we're clothed, we're anointed. And then it shall be when he lies down, in verse 4, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you will go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do next. Ladies, how many of you took this kind of advice in in getting yourself a husband? Go lay down at his feet and and uncover him and just wait and see what he says. That'd be kind of scary, wouldn't it? I mean, put yourself in Ruth's shoes. She don't know anything about the the Jewish traditions or their rituals or what anything means. But what does she say to Naomi? Whatever you ask me, that's what I'm going to do. Ruth is such an incredible picture of submission, an incredible picture of submitting herself ultimately to the hands of the God in whom she put her trust way back in chapter 1. Folks, we have to learn as a church to trust in God's ability and submit ourselves to God's sovereignty. We trust God's ability we know God can do it, but ultimately we have to submit ourselves to God's will, His sovereignty. Lord, what are you going to do? What are you, how are you moving? How are you directing? I trust that you could at any moment speak and the storm stops, but until that time, I'm rowing. Just like the disciples, right, at the Sea of Galilee? You remember the first time they went to the Sea of Galilee and there was a storm, they freaked out, right? Right? Lord, save us. And Jesus came up and spoke, Peace be still. Still waters. But the next time Jesus said, Go across the Sea of Galilee, what were they doing? The storm rose up, and what were the disciples doing? They're rowing. Why are they rowing? Because they know, I can trust in God's ability. He can make this storm stop, but I am submitting myself to His sovereignty. He told us to go across, so we'll keep rowing. This is all part of God's plan for our life. And this is what Ruth was learning. Hey, I can trust in God's ability. I submit myself to God's sovereignty and I'll do what Naomi's asking me to do. Now, here's what we have to understand to grasp the Jewishness of what's taken place. In the hem of the garment that spoke of all the authority of the family... Much like you would see the the kilts in in Scotland. Is it Scotland that does kilts? So just like they would have different embroideries for family, the hem of a robe, the hem of a garment spoke of the authority of the family. Woven into that hem would be the story of whosoever family it was. You remember the, the robe Jesus wore? Had no seams. Wasn't broken at all. You remember the woman who for 12 years had an issue of blood, and all she wanted to do was what? Touch the hem of his garment. Why? Because that spoke of all of his authority. All I have to do is touch the hem. That's why she was reaching for the hem. You remember when David was hiding in the cave from Saul, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself, and David cut the hem of his garment? He was saying, you're cut off. That's why David's heart was vexed, I shouldn't have raised my hand against God's anointed. And Saul understood what it meant too. He cut the hem. He was cutting off his authority, his right to rule. He was sending a message to Saul. So we need to understand that the hem spoke of all those things. So when Ruth goes to his feet where the hem of his garment of his robe is over his feet she's going to lift that hem up over his feet and wait she's going to open up that that place of authority and ultimately ask for his covering that he would place his hem over her it's a beautiful picture of what we do when we come to the lord right lord place your hem over me oh put your power over me I'm giving myself, submitting myself unto you. So this is what Naomi's asking. Well, let's see what happens. And so it says, and she said to her, all that you will say, all that you have said to me, verse five, I will do it. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all her mother-in-law instructed her to do. And after Boaz had eaten and, and drank and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. I bet she was excited. Any moment, something's going to happen. Well, here's what would ha- take place, guys. They would go to the threshing floor, threshing the wheat. It was a big party, man. It was a celebration. It's harvest time. You know, we brought the harvest in. And then they would have a party afterwards. And then to protect the grain from the Moabites, the, the, the men would all sleep around that grain with their head toward the grain and their feet out like the spokes of a wheel. And they're going to protect that grain that night. So when they had done that, she noticed a place where Boaz was. She went and she uncovered her feet and she waited with excitement. What's he going to do? Well, nothing. Has that ever happened with you? Have you ever thought this is what the Lord's calling me to do and I go and I do and I lay down and I'm waiting. The first hour goes by. The second hour. What does the scripture say about midnight? Have you ever felt like God waited to midnight to move in a direction that God was calling you to go? Hey, Lord, here I am. I'm ready. God, give me the understanding. We want the skies to part. The light from heaven to shine down and, and the voice of God to say, thou shalt. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way, right? One of the most important things, folks, we can ever learn to do is to be still and know that He is God. Remember when Elijah was frustrated with the Lord and he took off running? He ran and ran and ran until he couldn't run no more. He falls down in the desert and the Lord sent an angel. He knew Elijah wasn't done yet. He sent an angel to give him angel food cake. Well, he gave him bread. And so he gave him that bread, and Elijah ran for 40 days on the strength of that bread. He just ran. He had to get that running out of his system. And he came to a a cave, and he runs in the cave, and finally he's exhausted. He's come to the end of himself. And the Lord says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, Lord, I have been very zealous for you. Those are sad words, aren't they? I have been. But he's feeling sorry for himself. He's feeling like, I've been running, God, but I need to to know things are okay. He just had a great victory, but it didn't turn out like he thought. Have you ever been there? And he finds himself in this cave, and the Lord says, Elijah, I need to show you something. And he he sent a great storm, but the Lord wasn't in the storm. And he sent a, a fire, and the Lord wasn't in the fire. What did he send? A still, small voice. And the Lord was in the still small voice and he said again to Elijah, what are you doing here? This is not where I've called you to be. Go and do what you're called to do. And Elijah went. It's in that still small voice that the Lord answers us, isn't it? We were waiting at the feet of our Savior, waiting for him to move, to guide, to tell us what to do next. We wait for that still, small voice. And in order to hear a still, small voice, we have to be quiet. Be still and know that he is God. When I used to do youth group, the kids would come to me and say, well, I've never heard the the voice of God. Brother, how's God ever going to talk to you? What do you mean? You got an iPod on your head 24-7. Music I can hear. So, I know it's blowing out your, your brain cells. When you go to bed, you got the thing on your head. When you're in your car, what are you doing? You get in your car, turn up the radio. Where are you ever in a still small place where you can just listen? Sometimes we got to cut out all the noise of life, right? And just say, Lord, I need a word. I need your direction. I need to hear your voice. And so Ruth is such a great picture of that for us. Because look, she lays down at his feet. She uncovers it and she waits. She doesn't complain. She just is still and knows something's going to happen. And look what happens. It says about midnight. It happened at midnight that the man was startled and and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. Now that's kind of startling, isn't it? When I went to sleep, there was nobody laying there. And then I wake up and, who are you? I got a story about that, but I'm not going to tell it. I was going to tell it, and the Lord said no, so I'm going to listen. Maybe next time we do Ruth. So, okay, maybe I will. Gosh. (laughs) Should learn to listen. I was out on a job site one time where, where, this is a scary California story. We're out in California. We're working on the freeways. And, and, and I would work way late all night long. And then we'd go crash during the day. So we were in this, in this hotel room, you know, and like 20 guys in the same. We're sleeping on the floor and the couch and the windowsill, wherever you could find a quiet place to lay down. And we're laying there. And, and I went to sleep. And a couple minutes later, I wake up some homeless guy had come noticed us all walking into the hotel so he figured hey must be a good place for me he opened the door it must have been cold because he crawled in and snuggled up right next to me and i all of a sudden i wake up there's somebody breathing on my neck and kathy's not with me so i was kind of startling turn around and see his scruffy face but anyhow I can understand how Boaz felt, you know, being startled. They weren't there a minute ago. So this, of course, was better for for Boaz because she's a woman and not a guy. So anyhow. And so he said, Who are you? And she answered. i got to stop while I'm ahead. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are my Goel. You're my Redeemer. Isn't that how we all come to the Lord? Lord, take me under your wing. God, put me under your skirt. Literally, she's saying right here, place your hem over me. Just cover me, Lord, cover me. She's going for redemption to her kinsman redeemer just like we just like we who she's a picture of the church we come to the lord lord cover me lord place your covering over me and so this is her heart lord cover me put your covering over me and and so as she asks this he says to her blessed are you of the lord my daughter for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after other young men whether poor or rich And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know you are a virtuous woman. I want you to remember that. Because probably all of us are familiar with Proverbs 31, right? The the Proverbs 31 woman, the virtuous woman. You know, Solomon wrote that out as he wrote the book of Proverbs. And most Jewish rabbis believe Solomon wrote it down from the stories his mom, Bathsheba, told him about his great, great, great grandma Ruth. That that's where that scripture comes from. And when Boaz looks at it, he says, Man, everybody knows you're a virtuous woman. Everybody knows your value. And he says he wants to do it. So, hey, everything looks like the story's good, right? Things are happening. Wow, this is going to end up nice. But look in verse 12. Now, it's true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. The plot thickens. Ruth, I want to do it. And we can see, can't we see already? Boaz loves Ruth. And we can begin to see that, that Ruth loves Boaz and we have this beautiful love story happening and God orchestrating all these events, pulling the strings, making things happen. But here, all of a sudden, we, we come to this point. Oh, there's someone closer. And as we back up and we look at the pattern of Ruth, don't we see Ruth as a picture of the church and, and we see Boaz as a picture of our Savior, uh, our Redeemer, and we see Naomi as the nation of Israel. But what about this, who's this close relative? Who's this other one that is closer than the Redeemer? Well, let's take a look, and I think we'll be able to see. He says, stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of the Goel for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform that duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives lie down till morning when he said as the lord lives he's making a solemn oath i'm going to take care of it tomorrow tomorrow everything's going to change for you ruth stay here lie down and tomorrow it will all be made right and so she lay at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another and she said Or then he said, do not let it be known that the woman has come to the threshing floor. He didn't want people to talk. He is guarding what? He's guarding her reputation. Every man who really cares about a woman is going to guard her reputation. A guy who wants to tell you all these things and and then try to to lead you ladies to a place that you would dishonor yourself. That's not a man that loves you. It's not a man who cares about you. A man who cares about you, he's going to protect your reputation. He's going to protect all those things about you. And so, here we see Boaz doing that very same thing. So, it says, he said, bring your shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley. Now, you'll notice in your Bible, it says the word ephah. But the word ephah is italicized. When a word is italicized in our Bibles, it means it's not there. The translators are trying to help us understand what's taken place. What it literally says is six measures. We don't know how much. But it was the importance of it is not how much it was, but that it was six measures. He measured out six measures of barley. Put it in her shawl, and and she's going to take it home as a sign. Look, it says, these six measures of barley he gave me. uh, I'm sorry, verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And then she gives Naomi this code. Why? Because Ruth, as a Gentile, won't get the code. But Naomi will. Folks, when we study the scripture, if we always look at the scripture from a Greek mindset, you're going to miss so much of the Jewishness of the word of God. Because the word of God, especially the Old Testament, came to us through the Hebrew, through the Jew. And when we choose to interpret it based on what we think about it, instead of what was true about the society of the time, we are going to miss the point. We won't quite understand it. Well, look what happens. He said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And listen, she gets it. She says, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. How'd she know that? He gave her six measures of barley. In creation, we have what? Six days of work. The seventh day was rest. Six is not the complete number, right? Seven is a number of completion. Six is incomplete. That's why six is a number of man. He's incomplete without the Lord in his life. And so when we look at it, this number six, six days of creation, six days of work, he's not going to rest until it's done. And so that's the message that he is sending to her mother-in-law. Now, she'd never get it, but Naomi will. And Naomi can explain it to Ruth. There's so much in the Scripture, so much richness in the Scripture when we begin to understand what the Word of God is speaking to us through the, the Hebrew part of the Word. For example, the wedding ceremony. The, wedding cer- the Jewish wedding ceremony. Well, remember I said that prophecy is pattern? Well, if you don't know what the Jewish wedding ceremony was, it went like this. There was a betrothal. At the moment they were betrothed, they were considered married, even though they had never consummated the marriage or been together. And while they were betrothed, the husband and the wife over the contract would partake of bread and wine. The husband would say to his wife, I will not partake of this again until I have it with you in the house that I build for you. And then he would go to his father's house and he would prepare a place for her. And as he built the place, the apartment, the addition to the house, he didn't know when he was going to go. The father would come to him and say, Son, it's ready. Go get your bride. Now, the bride was told, be ready, because you don't know what time your husband will come. Most of the time, they'd come sneaking up at midnight, because it's fun to do things at midnight. And so they'd come up, and they'd begin making a bunch of racket. They'd begin blowing the trumpet and pounding the drums, and people would hear a wedding procession coming, and the bride would start getting excited. Oh, maybe he's coming for me. And so she would be ready and he would stand outside the door and they'd blast the trumpet and she'd gather her wedding party and they'd rush down to be with him and he would take her away to his father's house and there they would have a seven-day wedding feast together. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because in in the gospel of John, the Lord said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, what's he going to do? I will come again to bring you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. The Jewishness of the Scripture lets us realize that he's laying out the pattern of the wedding the bride of christ married to christ at the marriage supper of the lamb the book of revelation teaches us all about it when we will enjoy that wedding feast with jesus christ and so we want to be able to understand the jewishness of the scripture guys this is what we're seeing in this picture is naomi is able to express to ruth this is what he means because This is the Jewishness of what's going on. And for the church today, that's where we're going to really find the riches as we plumb deep into God's word. God's word is going to deliver to us those riches when we understand where the scriptures are coming from. When we can hold on, not make it say what we want it to say, but what they intended it to say. And so we see this is what what Naomi does for her. Now, chapter 4, Boaz has a lot of work to do, right? He's got to redeem Ruth. So Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, come aside, friend. Sit down here. So he came aside and he sat down. Well, there's something we ought to understand about Boaz. Apparently, he's a man of authority, he went to the gate now the gate of a city folks people would enter into the gate and the gate would take a couple of 90 degree turns so that the city was defendable and in those 90 degree turns there would be these courtyards where the rulers of the city would gather to do business and so boaz goes down to the city gate when he sees his close relative he asks him to sit down and he doesn't question doesn't think about it he sits down Boaz had some type of authority. At least he was well-liked and well-cared for in the city. And it goes on, it says, So he came and he sat down and he took ten men of the elders of the city and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Ten, the, the number of witnesses, these are going to be the witnesses around as they conclude the business. And he says to the close relative, here's where we're going to understand who he is. He says to a close relative, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, then tell me that I may know, for there is one, or there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And the man said, I'll redeem it. I bet Boaz's heart sunk. Oh, man. Because the bottom line is, folks, Boaz didn't care about the land. He didn't care at all. But this close relative, that's all he cared about. We'll be able to see that in the very next verse. Look, the guy's willing to redeem it. And then Boaz says, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess the wife of the dead to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance he's saying look once you buy the land you also got to take the people you got to take Ruth as your wife and father a child so that the name of her husband doesn't perish from the names of Israel it's not just about the land it's about the person." Boaz didn't care about the land. He just loved Ruth. But this close relative, look at the next verse. The very next verse, the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Folks, there was four rules for the Goel, for the kinsman redeemer. Four things that they had to fulfill in order to redeem. First... They had to be kin. Second, they had to be able. Third, they had to be willing. And fourth, they had to assume all the obligations of the redeemed. In other words, to take Ruth as wife. Now, back up and see the pattern. Jesus Christ became man to be our kin. Jesus Christ is able. Now unto Him who is able to do above and beyond what you can think or imagine. To Jesus Christ alone, God our Savior. So we see Jesus Christ is able. He had to be willing. The Bible tells us, doesn't it, that Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross to pay the price and, the fourth part, accept the obligation of the redeemed. Isn't it a great picture as we take a look at what Boaz was doing? Well, if we back up and we want to understand who the close relative is, guys, the close relative is the law. The law only can take you so far. But it couldn't redeem. The law was willing to to accept the land, but not willing to do what was necessary, powerless to do what was necessary for the person, for the people. The law is that pattern, the picture, if you will, of this close relative as we back up, unable to redeem. And so Jesus Christ, folks, when we read Revelation chapter 5 and you see Jesus Christ standing there with the scroll in his hand. And you begin to understand the the role of the kinsman redeemer as John was weeping and crying. Who can be found worthy to open the scroll? The scroll that is a perfect description of a title deed from the book of Jeremiah, sealed with seven seals. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? John weeping. And then we see one of the elders come to John and say, Don't weep, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And he turned and he looked and he saw the Lamb as though he had been slain. Not just kin, not just able, willing, worthy to accept the obligation. And so Jesus Christ buys back that which was lost. And we see that picture so clearly as we step back and we look at what the word is laying out for us. And so we see here the close relative, he says, No, I care about the land, not the person. Go ahead, it's all yours, Boaz. And I'm sure this is what Boaz wanted, wasn't it? Boaz is stoked, folks. He's like, Right on. Right on. I get to, I get to redeem Ruth. I get to take Ruth as as my bride. And so the scripture goes on. Now, this was a custom in former times. In Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. Well, that's rather strange, isn't it? In Deuteronomy chapter 25, it lays out this rule. Basically, if he was unwilling to fulfill his obligation as Redeemer, it was disgraceful. But the person who was supposed to come before him... And ask for redemption was Ruth. But Boaz took her place. Didn't he take our place too? Boaz took her place. And so there was a disgrace in taking off the sandal. Literally, Deuteronomy says that that she was supposed to spit in his face. And he would take off his sandal and he would spend a period of time with one sandal and everybody would know, oh, he's missing a sandal. He was unwilling to redeem. Because God wanted his people to understand the value of redemption. It's important. Every picture that the Lord painted in the feasts, in the feast days of Pentecost, in the feast of first fruits, in the feast of trumpet, what's it all about? It's all speaking about redemption. It's all speaking about the Lord buying back and and you know what redemption means? Twice bought. I heard a story about that. There's this little boy. He and his dad got together and they built a model ship. And they built this model ship and the the boy and his dad they they went down to the to the river to to float it. And they're all having fun, you know? They're just right around the on the on the shallows on the on the backwater things were cool but they got a little bit too close to the current the current snatched up the boat and shoo, took off down the river the boy couldn't get it so he just waved as his boat went down the river one day he's going through town and he came upon a toy toy store and he looked in the window and it looked like his boat his model boat right there up on the shelf. And so he he went home and told his dad and they came down and and they said, man, that looks like our our boat. And the the toy store owner says, yeah, you know, I had a guy who was out on the river on his boat and he said this thing floated up. And so he brought it in and I, I bought it from him. And the little boy says, well, that's my boat. Can I have my boat? The guy who owned the toy store said, sure. You pay me what it costs and you can have your boat. So a little boy looked at his dad and his dad gave him a little bit of money and the boy went and paid the store owner and he took that boat and he said, now you are twice mine. For I made you and I bought you. That's the understanding of that word redemption. Isn't that what God has done for us? He made us and he bought us. We're twice his. When we're redeemed. And so this is what he's laying out for us. This concept of redemption is so important that we hold on to. That Boaz would take Ruth's place. That he would stand in this place for her. And so he took off his sandal in verse 9. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day. I have bought all that was Elimelech's. All that was Chilion's and Malan's from the hand of Naomi." Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Boaz says, I'll redeem. I don't care about the land. I want the bride. You remember when we look at the parables that Jesus told about the parable and a man was going through a field and he found treasure on that field and he quickly went and did everything he could to purchase the field so that he could have the treasure. Well, we know the definition of it. Jesus told us that the field is the world and the treasure, that's his church, his bride. And he was willing to pay whatever price, right? So that he could have the treasure that's what boaz was doing here whatever it takes so that he might have the treasure but listen guys as we back up and we consider all these things the scripture said that the moabites that they were cursed to 10 generations and yet boaz married someone who was cursed just like jesus right Gathering unto himself a bride from the Gentiles who were cursed. Tenth generation. It's kind of fun because if you count ten generations from Ruth and Boaz, you come to a little fellow with a sling. His name was David. And he became king. Well, as we continue through the story, it says now uh in verse 11 and all the people who are at the gate and the elders we are witnesses the lord make the woman who is coming to your house like rachel and leah two who have built the house of israel and may you prosper in and Ephrathon, be famous in bethlehem so they give to him this this blessing may this woman be like rachel and leah well they fathered the, the 12 tribes of israel right Oh, basically. You know, they, they had some ups and downs like we all do, but but it's a blessing. Hey, may you may you be established like a nation. Boaz, Boaz, Boaz. When Solomon built the temple, do you know what he named one of the pillars? Boaz. In him there is strength. In who? in jesus christ in the one to whom all these things are pointing may may you have many nations many sons and and who did he father obed who fathered jesse who fathered david we're going to come down the line to to that place and when we consider the genealogy of you want to do an incredible study do an, do a study of the genealogies in the book of matthew and 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 in Luke, as they lay out for us the background through which the Messiah came, three women named, all of them associated with Ruth. Isn't that interesting? Three women named in the genealogy of Christ, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Two of them women at least Had questionable background. Yet they become part of the lineage. And two of the three are Gentiles. Man, it's, it's incredible as we back up and study what God has. But listen to this next one. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Oh, there's the fourth woman in the genealogy, Tamar. Now, I'm not sure how good a blessing this is. Well, let's back up and consider it for a moment. Tamar, you remember the story of Tamar? Tamar married one of Judah's kids. Judah, his son, died. He was a wicked man, the Bible says, and the Lord smote him and he died. And so Judah gave Tamar to his next son to raise up someone so that the name of his brother would not perish from the land of Israel, and he opted not to fulfill his role. And so God smote him. And he died. Now Judah's thinking, two sons have been married to her and two sons are dead. So uh, you just hang around Tamar and when the third one gets old enough, we'll think about it. So he let her remain as a widow. And when the third son was old enough, he didn't give her. He didn't give her didn't give him to her so tamar one day when judah's wife had died he he's going away to shear sheep and so she takes off her widow's garments and she goes out on the road on the way which he's going and she dresses like a harlot and when judah comes by he sees her and her face is veiled and so he He purchases her and and she says he says well, I'll give you one of my one of of the kids one of the goats And she says well, what will you give me that you'll be faithful to your promise? And he said, what do you want? Uh, Your signet ring your cord and your staff and so She takes those three things. He lies with her She becomes pregnant. She goes back home puts back on her widow's garb and waits judah later goes back he gets that goat and he brings it back to where the harlot was but she's gone and he thinks oh well she's gone i get to keep the goat so he goes back home a few months later people come up to judah and say judah tamar has played the harlot she's pregnant And he says, oh, she should be burned by fire. And so they're preparing to kill her. And he brings Tamar to himself. And I want to know who the father is. And she goes to the one to whom this ring, this staff, this cord belong. He's the father. And Judah says, you have been more righteous than I. For I didn't fulfill my role to you. And he withdrew. He never had relations with Tamar again. She had that son through whom the Messiah came. So when they said, Hey, well your your may your your union with Ruth, may it be like Tamar who bore Perez. Well, what's the point? Perez, guys, built Bethlehem. Oh. And you remember another fellow that was born in that place? Do you remember when the angels came and the shepherds were out in the fields at night and they began to sing about the Messiah who was born? Do you know whose field they were in? Boaz. Huh. Isn't it cool how we can go to the Old Testament and we can study the scriptures and we can see and we realize how intricately everything is woven together? Who could do that but the Lord? Who could do that but him? And so they, they offer up these promises. They offer up these blessings and these prophecies. And then they say, so Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife. And when, she, when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Goel, a close relative. And may his name be famous in all of Israel. And I already shared with you, he became one of the pillars in the temple. They never forgot the name of Boaz. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Do you understand the relationship between the church and the nation of Israel? Romans tells us that we've been grafted in. And that by our relationship with the Savior, Israel is going to come to a jealousy where the Lord ultimately tells us in the book of Romans, Israel will be saved. They're going to be saved. Why? Because of the relationship that Israel enjoys based on the relationship between Ruth and Boaz, the church and Jesus Christ. And so Naomi is celebrating. She's, She's got a son. Now, you remember four chapters ago where she was? God hates me. The Lord has afflicted me do you sense the change in her heart well listen was god working four chapters ago or did he just start right now as we read the story can't we see the fingerprints of god and recognize for us when we find ourselves going through a time and we're getting bitter or we're frustrated or we're angry can we too change our viewpoint and say i can see the fingerprints of god Because no matter how it looks, he's still working. And I can trust in his ability and submit myself to his sovereignty and let God do his perfect work. So Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. What a glorious time that must have been for her. I have a grandson. Hey, grandkids, I hear, are very cool. Pastor Gerald always said, grandkids are the reward for not killing your children. <laughs> we're going to have a, a little baby granddaughter in sep- sometime in September. My oldest son and his wife are, are having a baby, and we're excited about that. And I got a little trial run at it because the last few days we've been staying with Corey and Stacy and, and Zoe. I had to finally tell Zoe to go ask her mom about everything because she she comes to me and says, can I have a, yep. I'm practicing to be a grandpa. When when that little granddaughter comes to me and says, grandpa, can I? Absolutely. Can I? You betcha. Can't you see that heart in Naomi as she's holding Obed and she's like, can you imagine the joy? Four chapters ago, it was nothing but sorrow. Do you see how God works? He said in Joel 2.25, remember, I will give you back the years that the locusts ate. She lost those 10 years in Moab. You think she's thinking about it now? Holding her little grandson? Thinking about, wow, look at what God has done. And he continues to do for us, even as he has done for them. So the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. It it has at its root meaning the meaning worshipped. Can you imagine how Naomi worshipped him? I mean, they're like, Oh, that baby, that's going to be the most spoiled baby in the world. Look at Naomi just worshipping him every time she turns around. They have a baby, and he is worshipped. He is the father of Jesse. Jesse. The father of David. You see how important Ruth and Boaz were? Without Ruth and Boaz, there was no Messiah. There was no King David. All those stories that we look back on, all those pictures are all wrapped around what? God's redemption of men. I mean, we read about the story of creation. Creation is a big deal, right? How many chapters on creation? couple how many stories on redemption Whoo! just over and over and over again I, I often share guys the word of god i think has answers to all our problems but it only tells us one story how god redeems it's not meant to solve every mystery in fact if you study it enough you'll find mysteries in here that you may not solve until the day we see jesus christ so that's okay isn't it it didn't mean to tell us the answer to the mysteries. What's it tell us? God's saying to us a love story about how much he loves us and how much he's willing to do to redeem us, to bring us back to him, that we can enjoy that relationship with him again. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron, Ram, Ram, Aminadab, Aminadab, Nashon, Nashon, Salmon. Salmon married Rahab. And Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. Now you remember I shared with you there were 10 generations. When we read in the genealogies, when it says so and so begot so and so, It doesn't mean that they're the father. It means that they're of the line. It could be a grandpa, great-grandpa. We go to other places to see the whole genealogy listed out. When a genealogy is listed, it's not going generation by generation necessarily. And in this case, it's just showing us the path to David. That it comes through Rahab. It came through Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. And then it's going to go through Bathsheba yet in the future. Folks, do you realize that God works through all our failures to turn them into gold? I mean, every one of us, if we all stopped and we told our God stories, wouldn't we have just... We could fill books, couldn't we, with what God's done in our lives? And how God's moved and how God's directed. And what has God shown us in our life? If not, that He can give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God redeems. And that is the importance of what the book of Ruth has to give us. Amen? Amen. Why don't we take a moment and pray and then as we, as we finish, um, we want to have as many of the elders who are here and uh, it, it, I don't know if Steve's still around or not, but we want to we be able to anoint someone with oil and pray for healing. So uh, if you guys would come forward, and then as, as we anoint and pray, anybody in the body that would like to come up, we, we will invite you to come on up as we uh, pray for God uh, to touch uh, a woman who's battling with cancer right now. Well, let's pray.